Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. On this episode of Big Boys Don't Cry, we discuss the film Avatar. You don't have to have seen the film to enjoy the podcast, but if you do listen without having seen it, just be aware there may be spoilers. Enjoy. Hello, how are you? How good. was your trip to Pandora? Oh, it was it was really good. Yeah, I'm I'm not feeling blue at all this week. How are you? Are you feeling blue? <laughs> no, but I am feeling like a strange hammerhead shark meets rhinoceros meets a stag beetle hybrid creature with six legs. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm feeling, feeling like today. a big a big a big dragon. <laughs> feeling <laughs> like, like a big dragon makes friends with blue people now before before we get started can i tell my james cameron dad joke that i already told you over text <laughs> yes please do I'm, I'm sure that someone will write in and tell us that someone else came up with this but i came up with this and i'm very proud of it so what would james cameron say to you if he was a cockney running a bakery what would he say avatar <laughs> i i've had a bad dad joke um stuck in my head based off the back of that actually oh really um which is because i was going to try and develop it into this whole bit based around like the things in the bakery being like all his other films but i don't have time for to make jokes and memes anymore yeah it's worth thinking about Mm. true pies (laughs) that's good that could be the name of his bakery true pies that is very good yeah (laughs) pytanic why does why does so many of its things have to do with pies? I had terminate tort, you know, terminate like tort. What could we do for for terminate tort two? Judge- judgment, judgment day. Yeah, what what can we judgment do? pastry? <laughs> or would that be the name of a different bakery? That would maybe be the the spin off bakery sets up. What about Piranha two, which was directed by James Cameron? So it was. Yeah, I forgot about that. Or aliens. There's not really a lot you can do with aliens. No. Or the abyss. Yeah, I I did try and think of something for the abyss and I couldn't come up with anything. Pytanic, though. Pytanic and... um, (laughs) What was the other one? True pies. True pies. (laughs) Pytanic is very good because what they could do is make like one giant pie each day and that's the Pytanic. And only like a very rich person, like a sort of Scrooge figure could come buy it. Like the prize turkey. You there, boy, go and buy me the (laughs) Pytanic. Go and buy me the Pytanic. You like that? And then he goes, I'm king of the loaves. Yeah. Afterwards. Um... (laughs) Anyway, my my joke off the back of that that I've had stuck in my head for a while is that you know that that Papa Roach have have opened up a patisserie. Have they? Oh. Yeah, they um they cut dessert into pieces and it's a chocolate tort. <laughs> That's very good. Did you come up with that? I did. Yeah. That's <laughs> See, very I've good. been singing I'm it to myself ever you. since you sent me your joke. Um, and I wanted to unleash it at some point. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, anyway, um, James Cameron is a man. He has directed. He is a director. He has directed a lot of 
things over the years and most of them have been good and we've talked about one of them on this podcast i think we've only talked about the one yes um which is titanic because we most have. of his movies are, are shooty bang bangs yeah but there's usually some love in there isn't there there's there usually, is. there's always there, is. there tends to be a love story buried in there yeah true lies is actually quite a good one where it's about a uh, a husband and wife about a marriage and how they rekindle their marriage through him being a secret agent and blowing people up and it's actually quite well done um as as a comedy but um but yeah uh, maybe maybe there's romance in piranha part 2 the spawning yeah and terminator of course has a a, a, a time travel romance that's right yeah i've yeah, never seen true lies romance. have you not seen true lies oh no. it's very good is what if arnold schwarzenegger made a james bond movie is basically what it is and it's that um, sounds great yeah it's it's really it's really good really good um so yeah it's 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 worth watching at some point we should consider that at some point um maybe if we have another sort of action movie month it's one we could we could throw in um but we are talking about the iconic the everlasting avatar yes everlasting it does feel like it's going to be everlasting doesn't it because there's a new film out right now and there's going to be 10 more there's going to be right? there's going to be five movies isn't there i think in total in avatar. um we've got yeah avatar 3 avatar 4 and avatar 5 currently looking at 2024 2026 and 2028 releases but do bear in mind that avatar 2 took a full what was it 11 12 years to release yes maybe even longer than that was it 13 years in the end yeah because this came out in 2009 so yeah yeah and avatar's only it was only last year so yeah 13 years later we got the sequel um so will we definitely get I mean, I think they're in post-production for Avatar 3, so I think that one's likely to be on schedule. Oh, did they shoot them back-to-back? Back? Did they do a Beethoven of. second? Maybe they did a Beethoven second here. <laughs> I mean, that, 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 that's what they call it in the industry. Um, doing, doing, <laughs> doing a Beethoven second. Yeah. <laughs> the most um, famous film ever to have been shot back-to-back back with, the, with the first one. Or, or as I like to call it, the Alan Quartermain effect. Oh, yes. Um, Based on Alan Quartem, uh, based on King Solomon's Mines, and then Alan Quartermain and the Lost City of Gold. My favourite knockoffs of Indiana Jones. <laughs> They're pitching it to the studio like Which... we're going to do a King Solomon on this, guys. Yeah, <laughs> I can just imagine yeah, James Cameron turning up on set and being like, "Right, we're going to Alan Quartermain this bad boy, everyone. Come on, let's do this." Um, <laughs> I would genuinely, I think there's enough romance for us to do a double bill of those movies. Yeah. What do you Absolutely, yeah, I would love that. We sh- we should definitely do it. I think I've still got them on DVD somewhere, so um, yeah, we can we can do that. We can do that. They're they're so awful. They're brilliant. <laughs> I think I've, I watched the first one with you, but I've never seen the second one. Oh, the second one's possibly better. Really? Actually, thinking about it, yeah. I yeah. don't remember much of it, but I remember it being great fun. Do you remember them being cooked in a giant pot and then them falling out yeah. of the pot? And there's those of like giant vegetables in the in the pot of them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's just a regular day that's in my good, house. That's a good scene. <laughs> that's a good scene. Um, anyway, but we're here to talk not about Alan Quatermain and the Lost City of Gold. We are here to talk about um, Avatar, James Cameron's Avatar, not the one, the Last Airbender. No, which the anime of that was very good. 
I watched bits and pieces yes, of it. Yes, yeah. You haven't seen the whole thing. Uh, actually, you shouldn't call it an anime because it was directed and created in the United States just in the style of Japanese uh, anime. My apologies, yes. What's the word for that? American <laughs> anime? That's um, what they call it. I've just realized, by the way, that my um, my mocking voice does just sound like Keir Starmer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Every time I see him talk, I just think of you mocking something. I genuinely cannot take him seriously for that reason. <laughs> I cannot take him seriously because he looks like one of the hedgehogs from the King of the Road adverts when we were kids. Mm. With the yeah. two hedgehogs that, that look both ways before crossing the road. And they have an uncanny resemblance <laughs> to Keir Starmer. So whenever I see him, I just think, King of the Road. Does anyone remember them from our listeners? You, you were if you're you our age and grew up in the UK, I'm sure. Yeah, if you remember those 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 adverts with the singing hedgehogs that look like Keir Starmer. Yeah. One day, he will be King of the Road. Read my latest piece <laughs> in The Guardian. <laughs> I genuinely wouldn't be surprised to see that as a, um, <laughs> a headline. Yeah, exactly. Um, but... We're talking about Avatar, the one with the blue people. Um, basic plot summary is, have you seen Dances with Wolves? I don't think have I've ever seen, seen it. No, it's Kevin Costner, isn't it? My main man. Yeah, yeah. I've yeah. heard a lot of people or, say um, that this is Dances, Dances with Wolves in space. Yes, which sounds, and that's basically if you, what it is. If you heard that phrase not knowing that it was a film, you'd think, okay, I'd watch. Dan- I, I'd, I'd watch, watch a video of dancing that. with wolves in space. I'd watch a, I'd watch a TikTok video of that, probably. Oh, speaking of things in space, spoiler alert. And in fact, it's kind of too late for the spoiler alert because I've said things in space, but too bad. It's been cancelled anyway because Netflix cancels everything good. Um, the show 1899 on Netflix. Have you heard about this? No. What's that? So it's really cool. So the guys behind it, they created the TV show Dark, which ran for three series on Netflix and was really good. This German uh, sort of psychological, but also um, sci-fi slice of life drama and it was really weird and really cool anyway they've come out with this new show called 1899 and it's very odd um basically it's this boat on this journey in the ocean in 1899 and everyone has a mysterious secret and then weird things happen okay and it's really cool and then netflix has cancelled it after one series because that's what they do now apparently um anything interesting that's unique they just get rid of it so that they can make another adam sandler movie (laughs) Yeah, um, that that's all they that's all they do now. Apparently, that's the only thing that they're willing to give you know leeway. Um, but anyway, um, it turns out that the, the twist at the end of this series is one of my all time favorite stupid twists. It might even be a shit piece twist. Um, where and again, spoiler alerts here. Very big spoilers for eighteen ninety nine. If you do want to see it, anybody. But Paddy, I know you're never going to watch this show. No, I do not have the time. I do not have the time. If I ever want to finish Final Fantasy VII, I'm never going to be watching television again. So <laughs> exactly. Maybe I'm um, the only person who's playing the old version of Final Fantasy VII in 2023. But <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, I love Final Fantasy VII, the original version. I've not played the remake because it's kind of like. Um, why would I play that when the perfect video game already exists and it's called Final Fantasy Yeah, VII apparently Final it's Fantasy amazing. VII. It's also a 100 gigabyte file. So like, I don't have anything that can run that, <laughs> yeah. hold that file. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I'd have to get it on PlayStation to play it and I'll get it at some point when it's when it's like heavily discounted and then I'll play it and enjoy it, I'm sure. But I've got other stuff to do. Um, but anyway, the, 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 the end of 1899, it turns out, they're all in this simulation 
And what the simulation is, is that they're all tapped into this big machine. But that's not the final twist. The final twist is right at the end of the last episode, where our main character breaks out of the simulation. And it turns out that they're all in this machine in space on a spaceship. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) And it's just like, yes, that is great. I love that they've done the old double twist. And yes, it's not just a simulation, but they're also in space. So then that's actually, that could go straight into the beginning of Avatar, couldn't it? If you sort of rejigged (laughs) it a bit. Exactly. And I think they're... Their, their ship is even called the spaceship they're on is even called the Prometheus. Of course. So actually, it could even it could even tie into Prometheus, the Ava- the uh, Avatar prequel, the Alien prequel, <laughs> famous Maybe Avatar the- prequel. <laughs> yeah, uh, Alien. <laughs> yeah. Prometheus. Um, That's nothing anyway, to do with but, Pacific but, Rim, is it? That's something else. No, no. Pacific Rim is big old robots fighting big old kaiju monsters. Um, well, some would is, love that. It's, it's probably it's too violent for him, but he loves robots and he loves monsters. So when he's when he's a bit older, it's a good one to watch. When he's five, um, maybe. <laughs> yeah, do, do the old my parents treatment of these movies. Yeah. Just throw him in at the deep end <laughs> with really violent, uh, explosive stuff. Yeah, or with the abyss, um, <laughs> which is about as deep a deep end as you can as you can have. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, but Avatar, right? Avatar. Getting back on track. Avatar is about space and there is this planet that's beautiful and picturesque and perfect in every way apart from the fact that everything on it wants to kill human beings Um, and you can't breathe the air and you can't breathe the air Um, so it's basically nausicaa of the valley of the wind yes yeah exactly um i couldn't stop thinking about that so well eventually i did allow myself to lose myself in it but that is one of my all-time faves so it was very hard not to think about that even though obviously it's it's an anime it's completely different but like yeah the, the breathing masks thing made me think of that. But it, it, it's interesting how there is that tie-in between it being this picturesque landscape that humans can't inhabit, but also the whole thing about the ecosystem being this integral part of the reason why the planet is the way it is and that we need to protect the environment and things, which also ties into Nausicaa in the same way. Um, there are some really interesting similarities between the two movies, um, I think. Um, so yeah, really, really prescient point there, Paddy. Oh, good about, about it, um, because I do think there's a lot of similarities between the two. Um, the reason why human beings want to go to Pandora is to buy some jewelry to take to their <laughs> girlfriend at Christmas time. <laughs> um, no, the, the reason that they want to go to Pandora is that's that it's good, got this good. this amazing substance called unobtainium. <laughs> um, and that's what it's called. <laughs> you... Sorry, I had to do that because that is the stupidest yeah. name for anything that I've ever heard. And it really and does is, not fit I... with the film. That is when like I, a thing from first... like a parody of a film like this. Yeah, yeah, precisely. Um, but then the more you think about it, the more you realise, actually, that's the kind of stupid name that scientists would give this strange mineral that's really hard to find that's really important. Scientists who've you seen just, too many episodes of The Big Bang Theory, probably. You, yeah, you can just imagine some scientist who discovers it being like, huh, we should call this unobtainium, and they pencil it in, trying to think of a better name, and then they never do. And, the, and that's just what it gets called. Yeah. Or um, like they have an online voting competition for it, and that's what it gets called, like like Boaty McBoatface or whatever. <laughs> Maybe that's how it happened. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, James Cameron yeah, ran it, a lot it, of online polls back in two thousand and nine, <laughs> when we didn't have TikTok or Instagram was even probably very young. That was the year I joined Twitter, incidentally. Ah, I was twenty ten when I joined Twitter. Ah, 
and life has only gotten worse since. <laughs> it's all been downhill um, from there. Yeah. Um, but um, but yeah, it, it does kind of take you out of the moment, doesn't it? When they when he says that it's called unobtainium, I I think they could have just not given it a name. And we get the point. It's the MacGuffin that is why the human beings are there. We don't need to give it a silly name. Yeah. Um, but anyway, that's why human beings are there, because this is this magical uh, stuff that either creates a lot of energy or is an amazing mineral or whatever. It's, it's the reason that humans are there, and they're mining it out of the ground on this planet. Um, however, it just so happens that on this planet, there's not just all kinds of dangerous wildlife, but also an intelligent species called the navi who um are modeled after beings. the fairy from ocarina of time <laughs> yes do not can do they, they never say hey listen at any point hey in this, in this. listen um <laughs> but um but but basically um what this means is that they've been trying to have a kind of peaceful coexistence with the navi whilst also stealing their resources um and trying to integrate themselves with them, find out more about them. But the Navi are very hesitant because these human beings turn up on their planet with big guns and shoot them every so often. Which the so, film does address directly in one very, very small moment when Sigourney Weaver says a line like that, oh yeah, they, they tend to not like it when you use machine guns on them or something. And that's the only time the film ever really tries to deal with that, isn't it? <laughs> so I don't know if... I think I had an extended version that I watched rather than the theatrical one. And actually they go into a little bit more detail about how um, they try to run a school for the Navi children to teach them English and help them learn what human beings are like. That was in the in version it, that I watched. Maybe I wasn't and paying they, attention. I think you might not have been paying attention because they did say that the humans turned up there and started shooting them because some other Navi who, turned, who had run in, who had previously been trying to... Um, disable some um, mining equipment or something and then there was a bit of a massacre at the school and that kind of broke down the relationship between the two species right okay um so so they do they do go into a little bit more more context um than just the one line um but enter the avatar program now what is the avatar program you take a human you put them in a refrigerator you zap them and their brain goes into a big blue body and then they can go and be out in the environment and chat to people directly. Once again, it's that old women in refrigerators cliche. I'm just so (laughs) sick of hearing it. The old Sigourney Weaver in a refrigerator trope, (laughs) honestly. Um, (laughs) Anyway, so, so, and that's the main conceit of this, this movie is um, people be in another body system. You can be in another body and then you can run around and be a big blue man. Um, our main character is Captain Non Charisma, played by Sam Worthington. Um, Jake Sully is his character name. His br- his twin brother was in the Avatar program, but he died, um, gets stabbed or something. I think they say, um, and then um, they get him in, and he's a wheelchair user. And so there's also this whole thing about how being in the Avatar system allows him to um, to 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 not have to use a wheelchair and instead have free use of his legs running around as a big blue man. And when he first gets into the blue man's body, he immediately runs off because he's so happy to have his legs back. Yes, yeah. And it's kind of not, not particularly well handled, I'd say, through a modern lens. And also the fact that our main character is a wheelchair user and 
never has to use his human legs whatsoever. Why could they not hire a wheelchair user to play the main role in this film? Absolutely. And there was also, although wasn't a lot of his stuff done with motion capture. So it was actually him doing the blue man stuff. Yeah. Not that I'm saying it's okay, because I don't think it's okay. But You could just hire Andy Serkis (laughs) and then get the guy to redub over the top of it. Yeah. Or, you know, you could do a Robert Zemeckis and it just could be anyone in there. You don't know who it is. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You could just get them to dub over it, whatever. There's no reason for it to have to be someone who's not a wheelchair user given how shit Hollywood is at hiring disabled people for roles anyway. Yeah, but I think the the worst part on, on the, the wheelchair thing is that there's a bit later on where the the very evil two-dimensional general man who's shouty American you mean, general you mean the man. the best character yeah. played by Stephen Lang. Yeah. I love him. Promise, promises him that he can have his legs back. Yes. If he, yeah. d- if he does bad things to the Navi. Yeah, which... Is is framed in all the callousness of an evil military general. Yeah, but <laughs> um, I I think like you do you do just think well, n- this is bad at the best of times that you haven't hired a disabled person to play a disabled character, but hiring Sam Worthington <laughs> to play this role like you've got a charisma vacuum <laughs> in your main role. You couldn't even hire someone good to be the main character in this movie playing a disabled person you've hired sam worthington i don't know if i've ever seen him in anything else so he is in terminator salvation one of the silly terminator movies yeah i haven't seen that um he's in clash of the titans the remake of clash of the titans i think i remember seeing his face screaming on a poster when that film was around (laughs) you probably did that's where i know him from he voiced someone in a call of duty game okay um he was he's been in a couple of things that are all right but overall it's boring not very good action movies right and it's quite funny because his career hasn't done anything beyond avatar in terms of success um basically it went um it went terminator salvation and avatar in the same year clash of the titans the year after but then it's a whole lot of not particularly successful stuff after that um he had a role in hacksaw ridge a movie that i have no interest in ever watching um and that's about it but isn't and that, by, from that by melvin gibson yeah the the big old anti-semite the horrible jesus um, man yeah. <laughs> wait did i did i read earlier this week that they're making a sequel to the passion of the christ how do they do that <laughs> oh did. jesus well, comes he- back again Jesus comes back from the dead. The second I mean, coming. it is right there. Yeah, I guess he could do it whenever he wanted, in theory. Um, <laughs> I think he should make it a sci-fi movie. It's um, Revelations and Jesus is back. If that is what they're going to do, then fine. But I don't want Melvin Gibson to direct it. <laughs> he comes out with a shotgun and is like, I'm going to fucking kill the four horsemen. Jesus with a shotgun, Jesus. starring Rutger Hauer. <laughs> exactly. exactly. God rest his soul. Um, yeah, what a, what a movie. What a man. Um, but yeah, he's not been in a lot outside of, like this avatar should have been the big breakthrough performance, but it kind of didn't happen that way. Um, and to be honest, it's because he's, he's not particularly got strong star power or acting talent to be perfectly honest. God bless him. Um, but you do kind of think to yourself, he's doing his best, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you do, you do kind of think to yourself, this role should have gone to a disabled person. And if they made this movie in 2022, the first Avatar, where they didn't have to rely on existing casting, you imagine that they probably would have done. Yeah. 
I was, I'm looking at his page now and I'm thinking, you know, if you, if you t- try and think of a handsome British Australian man, this is probably what you'd think of, right? Yeah, he's, he's, um, it, it, that's exactly what he looks like, isn't it? But he does have three sons and they're called Rocket, Racer and River. That's bad. <laughs> Alternatively, that's good. <laughs> there is no difference between good and bad things. <laughs> to quote the greatest philosopher of all time. Um, any, anyway, um, yeah, so so that's the main conceit is that he is a avatar man. He goes out in his big blue, his big blue. Big blue boy body, and he, he he goes and he meets the Navi, and he falls in love with a Navi woman, um, and then he um, becomes a fan of the Navi, and he's like, "No, we got to fight back against evil humans," and that's that's the plot. He turns from the dark side to the good side with Human, predictable humans consequences. Humans bad, blue men good. Yep. The one, the one white guy who comes to the the other race is obviously like the best one ever and their savior. Yeah, um, this is a big old movie about white savior. Yeah, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> uh, and that's one of the big problems is that the the I was about to call him David Cameron. Then that's David his Cameron brother. Yeah. Um, James also Cameron, a white savior. Yes. Not. Um, um james james cameron took a lot of inspiration when it came to the navi from from um native american tribes and cultures right and um it's all a little bit cultural appropriation-y because this is actually aliens um and then the whole story is white saviory because it is dances with wolves or the last samurai which is another example where tom cruise um, saves the Japanese people in the movie from bad westerners. Oh, that's right. Um, yeah. Do you remember? Do you remember the last? Yeah, summer? yeah. Uh, basically the same movie. I'd totally forgotten um, that existed. And um, yeah, it's all the the cultural appropriation in this movie and the way that it plays into those white savior tropes is a little bit shit. Let's be honest. Yeah, I don't want to come here to completely hate on this film because I think there are some things about it to like. But yeah, that yeah. is ulti- yeah. it is ultimately problematic, I think, at best because of the white saviour narrative, which, you know, b- in 2009, I think, you know, not to say that people weren't criticising media. There are reviews from the time that do mention that. But I think we're a bit a bit more aware of those kind of narratives now, aren't we? Yeah, absolutely. And I wonder, I've not seen Avatar 2 because who has three hours to spend at a cinema these days? I know, right? Um, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but I wonder if Avatar 2 is better in regards to that, whether they have done anything different or more, more interesting there yes. with it. I would be um, very interested to see if he kind of, if he took that kind of criticism on board. I mean, because once you've you've made that film, you know, there's only you can't deviate from the world you've created too much, can you? No. no. Especially if it's a sequel. Yeah, so so it's how they go about Jake Sully's character now. Uh, spoiler alert for the end of Avatar, he becomes a blue man permanently at the end of it. Yeah. Um, I wonder how much of that they play into him. Which we never in... really knew was an option until like right at the end of the film. No. <laughs> right? um, yeah, they, they go to the Tree of Souls at one point earlier where they try to do the same thing for Sigourney Weaver's character and fail. Um, so you kind of get the idea that it basically acts as a way for someone's spirit to transfer into another body if an um, empty body is also attached to it and they can migrate through the the network that is the Tree of Souls, which is the key spiritual centre of Navi culture. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I wonder if in the new film, 
whether he's fully integrated into the culture and they just kind of don't have him as the white savior but instead just as a member of the society and whether that's a way they get around it but again i think when you've got your framework here in the first place it's going to be very tricky to fully break away from those tropes in the future movies as well yeah i haven't seen it but i have walked down the cereal aisle in supermarkets in the last few weeks to a bunch of like jake sully faces staring at me on cereal boxes so oh there's there's that (laughs) oh there we are then um one thing i will say about this movie which i enjoyed about the way that it frames the world is it is nice to see a movie where the army guys are the bad guys again which doesn't happen anymore. Yeah, that's that's true actually. Yeah, as much as we're saying that it is it's problematic in its portrayal of, you know, the 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 white savior and kind of like oh militarism bad, it's actually you, you don't see that so much as as no, much as like um, pro militaristic narrative which is all over film. And you, do you know why why this is? No. It's because the US military is fully embedded like a tick into Hollywood now. So basically, if you want to use military equipment, get kind of military specialists on board to talk through things and give, you know, first-hand evidence of how things are, they have a say in how the movie portrays what's going on. Oh, that's right. No, I is, did know that. I had yeah. heard about that before, yeah. Which is why when you see things like the Marvel movies, when they've got military equipment in there, you'll always see that that's very pro-military. Yeah, That's because Marvel and the military have an agreement in place where they have those kind of special advisors, they have access to all the equipment, everything like that. But the military does have this say in what's happening in the film. The Transformers films is another example of this, where it's exactly the same thing. So the military basically in the US, is using Hollywood movies as a propaganda arm about how they're portrayed in popular culture. Whereas here, that's not the case, where actually it is very clear about the military-industrial complex, the way it relates to capitalism. It's actually very, very clear about how that's a bad thing. And obviously James Cameron, over the years, hasn't been shy about those kind of political messages in his films. Yeah. So it's it, it, it's almost refreshing in this movie with a massive white saviour story to see something like that here, which is very, very different from what you get in films. Yeah, and maybe I don't think that there aren't as many of those films as there, because I'm never, ever going to watch those kind of films, films about military bullshit. Like, I can't think of any film I'd rather watch less. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, you, you know, the superhero movies and things like that, you're, 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 yeah, I think I might genuinely rather watch a Quentin Tarantino <laughs> film than something that's like actually about military nonsense. You know, you never know. Your, your, your kids might get really into Marvel and then you'll have to sit through all of the Marvel movies. Well, you've tried to avoid it, but honestly, the way that shit is pushed at boys yeah. from like birth is ridiculous. Like half of the boys, if not more, in his nursery are all decked out in Marvel gear all the time, and they're obsessed with Spider Man and whatever. And like Eric has actively said to me that he doesn't like Spider Man, <laughs> which has kind of made me laugh because I think one of the kids at nursery is like always talking about it, and Eric's like, "What are you on, mate? Come and dig with me in the dirt," because he's yeah. sort of really like out outdoorsy. Come, come talk like, to me about pumpkins. Yeah, but it is absolutely ludicrous that like so many parents think that that's like for boys and not for girls as well. Because also, if you're going to push it at kids, like have it for girls as well, you know. But it's pushed at boys in such a stupid way. Yeah, yeah. And I think that that's the interesting thing, isn't it? That um, it's all very heavily marketed and it's very heavily marketed around gender too. Um, that it's 
it's yeah and, and it's so different from when we were kids because i remember i loved spider-man when i was a kid but that was purely around like the comic books and the cartoon show yeah where everything was really separate whereas now disney obviously has this huge control and of course disney has control over avatar now yes i watched it on disney plus on my yeah. phone as james cameron intended <laughs> as he intended you to do um <laughs> on my so phone on the tube standing up it, in another man's armpit <laughs> <laughs> it just goes to show like the power that disney now have that they they own all of these things and they have full control over that marketability and how they focus those things on people and it's kind of scary isn't it yeah it is it's too um, big and also but the kind of the heavy merchandising that we have now it wasn't mm, as there was merch mm. for things in the ni- like late 80s and 90s obviously but like it was nowhere near the same degree as it is now yeah you had you had the reaganization of cartoons in the 80s and that really created the flood of what eventually would come where like you had those those starting points with like star wars really in terms of marketing movies in that way and creating toy lines and everything like that then you had things like teenage mutant ninja turtles and transformers off the back of the loosening of tv regulations transformers was always made just to sell toys yeah i mean that that's exactly why it exists sorry 34 year old guys like us who have optimus prime tattoos (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but it's true it's it's why it exists it exists to sell toys that's specifically why it was created um and so then but it's all kind of amped up from that point through to now where you have this bombardment of advertising through toys advertising through t-shirts advertising through any form of creation yeah which is yeah so what we ridiculous. what we need to do is escape to a beautiful planet full of blue people yeah when you think about all of that that sounds sounds like a pretty attractive option doesn't it and and i think that's probably one of the reasons why avatar was so successful was that escapism that it gives is very unique for other things where it is this you know it's this it's this world that is the ideal of what we've lost here isn't it Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And the the military then symbolize kind of the worst elements of of our kind of military industrial capitalist planet, don't they? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So in quite an obvious way, but it's still a yeah, good it's, thing. It, it's it's very on the nose, but it's still worse. And I think that's the main thing about James Cameron is that in spite of all the flaws of this film, he knows how to make a competent movie. He oh, knows yeah. how to do imagery. He knows how to do pacing. He knows how to do action scenes. He knows how to do spectacle and tie it all up in human emotions in a way where he could make a movie about a broken toaster and turn it into something engaging. I would watch that. I would watch that. I'd watch James Cameron's The Toaster. My toaster is actually broken. Or it's like, you know how it's it's a four toaster because I'm a fancy man, but the, oh, the yeah. right hand side one doesn't work. So it's effectively a two toaster. <laughs> I'm, I might just call up James Cameron. Okay, l- I listen, James, say. I know you listen every week. Yeah, how, to, how can we fix this toaster? If that all fails, then do try David Cameron, his brother. Yeah, come around, both of them can come around my house and, and I'll <laughs> film can, and fi- and... can film me fixing a toaster yeah. and then you'll all cry. Yeah. And it exactly. won't win any Oscars, but it'll be very, very successful at the box office. Precisely, precisely. Um, so let's talk about the world of Pandora then. Did you like Pandora? I did. I thought I thought it was it was beautiful and lovely, and it was it was kind of exactly what I expected. I mean, even though I'd never seen this film before, I'd seen you know we've all seen pictures of it, we've seen trailers, you know, everything about it was as expected, I suppose. But it was still really, really stunning to behold and and lovely and all that kind of thing. And you know, you you talked about a lot of things that James Cameron is good at there. Um, the most important one of which is spectacle, 
right? That's mm, the yeah. the number one thing about Avatar. And on that sense, it absolutely succeeds more than perhaps any other film in creating a beautiful spectacle to watch. And maybe if I'd have seen it in 2009 in the cinema with the 3D glasses on top of my already glasses that I already wear, um, I might have enjoyed that spectacle even more. But even watching it like um, on my laptop and then on a phone, it was still amazing to behold. Yeah, I remember seeing this in the cinema back in 2009, and I remember how impressive that spectacle was. It was really cool. It was like, I don't know if you remember, when you were a kid and you went on a trip somewhere to like a science museum where they had a cool 3D movie back in the days before 3D was a thing. Yeah. You sat down and watched it. Or you you went to like a, a, a science park or something like that where they had those moving seats or the ones where they blew air in your face to yeah. make it look like you're on a roller coaster. And how when you're a kid, that stuff is amazing. And Avatar in the cinema tapped into that kind of excitement to be experiencing a story in a different way because i didn't watch this in 3d here i assume you didn't watch it in well you watched no. it on your phone yeah <laughs> um, so now i got out my my nintendo 3ds <laughs> as james cameron intended um but it was genuinely amazing in 3d that's what i remember about avatar was that um it was it was brilliant in 3D in a way that none of the other 3D movies that were that came out off the back of it, all of those gimmicks that came out with 3D films in the years after Avatar, none of them managed to do what Avatar did because it was all filmed in 3D from the off. It was filmed with texture, with layers, with a colour coding that was deliberately meant to make those certain layers pop in different ways and excite your your visual sort of synapses in different ways. It was created with that in mind, and it really showed in the cinema. It was genuinely something quite astounding. Um, and in 2D, it's still got some of that, but also it has been 13 years, and particularly the Na'vi do kind of look like video game characters these days. Yeah, I would say rather than it being PS2, like Robert Zemeckis, this is like good PS3 or even PS4, you know? Yeah, yeah. this is PS4 era graphics here. It's got that video game equality with the with the Na'vi. But I think apart from that, it generally holds up pretty well. Considering it was made in 2009, it still looks absolutely spectacular and stunning. Yeah, yeah. you know, because a lot of the time, movies that are so heavily dependent on CGI as this, it's, it's hugely CGI dependent, this film. Normally, they, they really fall apart quite quickly in terms of how they look. I mean, look at the Transformers movies, which were a mess when they came out in terms of working out what the hell was going on anyway. But nowadays it's impossible. (laughs) Dark of the Moon, exactly. Um, But 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 this actually does 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 the job well. Still, it still looks impressive. Yeah, I think you can tell that it's from two thousand and nine, and you're watching it going, "This is from two thousand and nine," but. At the same time, it still holds up really well and looks great, so it doesn't really matter. That's the thing. Yeah. There probably is yeah. more impressive CGI stuff out there now, but there's also you know AI-generated images out there now that are probably going to be close to this, so whatever. It, the fact remains that to have done this in 2009 was an incredible achievement when, you know, Robert Zemeckis that same year released his Christmas Carol and he was trying to convince us that that was the future of CGI. So (laughs) let's all be very, very glad because perhaps if James Cameron hadn't done this, every film now would be like those PS2 guys in Beowulf. (laughs) Would be the Polar Express. Yeah, love it. Yeah. Um, Yeah, it's... um, 
Yeah, that's a really good point. And I think another thing to bear in mind as well is that actually, you know, people like graphical artists or movies, they don't get given the time that they had with Avatar either these days, which is why mm. a lot of stuff looks so cheap now, is that they're massively rushed and massively overworked by companies like Disney. Sorry, Disney, but you treat your people like shit. Um, and and that ha- obviously has an impact where people talk about mm. how CGI these days doesn't look that good. It's like, well, it's because these people are massively overworked. They don't get given the time and the space to create things that look visually impressive anymore. Exactly. There's such a huge well, churn of content right now. They're just like, churn it out, get it out, here we go. Yeah, and that may well be why Avatar 2 has been getting such good plaudits for how it looks, is that actually you've got a director who cares about how things look and cares about it being impressive to look at and wants to give people the time and the the, the ability and the autonomy to create things that look good. And so I, people I, have been praising the visuals in the new one as well? Yes, yeah, they right. have. Okay. I haven't seen anything about it apart from the, the Jake Sully face on the cereal box, so I don't know anything about it. <laughs> it's in the sea. It's called the Way of the Water. And it's called the, the Way of Water, sea. so as I, that meme I sent you, that's guaranteed to make me need to urinate every 10 minutes while watching yeah, which, it. Yeah, <laughs> is another reason why I'm not going to go see it in the cinema. Because <laughs> I don't like getting up to go pee in the cinema. You miss some no, of the film. you miss some of the movie. It's pointless. So, yeah. But yes, yeah, so, so one thing about pandora that i really loved was all of the weird wildlife i liked the stag beetle rhino i liked the angry lizard dog i liked the flying freaky dragon things i liked the floating mountains yeah the floating mountains were awesome all of that stuff felt really alien and really cool as it should do on a planet whose ecosystem is entirely separate from our own it almost so had a bit of a those, Gulliver's Travels feel to it, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Um, because cause obviously all of the evolutionary lines are going to be completely different. So actually having these strange creatures and having these strange gravitational effects to help it feel like a unique place, completely separate from Earth, I think was really important. And that brings me on to something I do want to talk about, which is that I don't like the Navi. <laughs> They're too human-like for a non-human world like this. I'm sorry. The The rest of the wildlife on Pandora has six limbs. Even the, the lizard dogs, the stag beetle rhinos, all of, they, all of them have six limbs. And that's clearly the evolutionary line that the, the mammal equivalent has, um, has grown to develop. Yeah. So why do the Na'vi not have six limbs? It's very human-centric, isn't it, this film? Yeah. Assuming that the only kind of intelligent species would be a humanoid. They wanted to make a a palatable, you know, visually attractive, I'm not talking about sexually attractive, but visually attractive, palatable alien species here to be the hero species. But I think it takes away from the quality of the movie and it also takes away from the power of the movie, which is that our own... um, our own beliefs, our own ideals can overcome things like race, which is the big allegory mm. of this film. Yeah. Um, it, as a, a point of comparison, have you read all of his Dark Materials, Philip Pullman? Yes, yeah. And did you weird... watch the recent TV series? I did not. No. Oh, mate, you should watch it. The, the third series was on recently. We watched it all over Christmas. It was really good, really well done. But, you did know, it, did in it the have the weird, book, the, weird, um, pit, the weird cows which roll about on a big ball? Yeah, it did. Yeah. The, the, the Mulefa, they're called. Mulefa. And that, I think, is a really good example of this sort of imagining the dominant species in another world 
and it not having to be a humanoid thing but a human learns to communicate with them gradually a human who is a scientist and a research learns learns to communicate with them and their language and their ways um and that is just done so well so i think yeah that's a good example of how it doesn't have to be humanoids but probably in most examples people think that it's easy for it easier for people to relate to i guess and that the mulefer is only like a tiny part of the whole thing of his dark materials but like it's i thought that was done really really well and it's done well in the show it doesn't it didn't show enough of them rolling about on the balls for my liking but because that's the big thing that i remember is them having these giant like acorn things that they roll about on and that's how they move around yeah um uh, which i absolutely adored about about the book there's these really strange creatures that have this intelligence that are this dominant species that we learn to communicate with and they were so alien and I, I really love that. And I wish that they'd done something similar here. I, I think in a, in terms of parallels with movies, um, District 9 is a good example. I don't know if you've ever seen District 9. Yeah, yeah. I, I saw it in the cinema when it came out. It was a oh, really, brilliant. really good film. Um, I would love to rewatch that at some point, actually. And, um, and that, but that was course, really well done. Yeah, and that, of course, has these weird bug men. With, came out the same year, 2009. Came out the same year. Did I, I didn't go and see that with you, I, but I did no, go and see that at the no. cinema in Exeter, I remember. Yeah, I I didn't see it at the cinema. I only watched it um, on DVD. Um, but yeah, that that's a that for me is a parallel here, where it's this this alien species that is very non-human. But again, you get that empathy, you get that communication, you get that co- cooperation between humans and 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 these bug people, um, and it's just as powerful, if not more powerful, than Avatar is that movie the relationship between the characters and i think you could have done that here i think that the rest of pandora is is strong enough for them not to have relied on a species that looks so humanoid district nine is very interesting as a point a point of comparison because it's the the exact opposite because it's not trying to create a spectacle is it it's trying to give tell a very very realistic science fiction story yeah and and you know there's kind of thematic parallels there between sort of military industrial complex fascism race it 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 touches on the same things but it does it in the opposite direction to how avatar does it yeah and for me at least i think district nine is a better film yes of, of course it's it's also probably half the length of avatar <laughs> so if yeah. you you watch you think you watched an extended version how long was the version that you watched uh must have been about three hours so mine was two hours 42 Okay, yeah, I think I had a few extra scenes here and there, and I seem to have a lot more voiceover than I remember getting when I watched it in the cinema. There was a fair amount of voiceover that added nothing to it. Oh, maybe in I, the version maybe I, I watched. Maybe I watched the same version as you, but yeah, there's there's all sorts of voiceover that does nothing, and he just sounds really bored. Yeah, it's supposed to be like he's doing his little vlog, but at times it shows him doing it, and then other times he just speaks over the film to tell you the plot, and you're just like, leave me alone, go yeah, away. I don't need this. It, it reminds me of the original theatrical cut of Blade Runner. Where Harrison Ford is bored, yeah, <laughs> and 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 giving this this voiceover, it's like this adds nothing. We don't need this. We can understand what's going on without it. Um, and so I think that's kind of a thing is is maybe holding the audience's hand too much. It's yeah. like we're not going to have six limbed, creepy alien creatures with with tentacle mouths. Instead, we're going to have big blue, beautiful space creatures with tentacle penises. Yeah, that are also their tails, and they have some kind of weird psychic connection with other species and with one another. Yeah, and James Cameron clearly he's a populist, isn't he? He wants he wants yeah. his films to be accessible. Yeah. He wants them to be the biggest possible smash hits, and he has achieved that. So you know, I take my hat off to him, and I think 
he has made a film that is very very accessible in Avatar amongst everything that he's made but like I think it's it's a very accessible science fiction film as well and mm. I, I think probably a lot of people went to see this who wouldn't usually go and see science fiction either and he took an approach that obviously was aiming for that so there's only so much you can criticise there isn't there I'm not saying we can't criticise that because we can obviously and we will <laughs> And and we do, um, but no, yeah, you're completely right. You know, he he makes movies for the masses, and then he goes and does his documentaries for him. Um, and so, yeah, no, you can't fault. This is what he wanted to create. He wanted to create a very popular movie that everyone could could watch and access. Um, and it was hugely successful. You know, it was the the most successful movie of all time until that stupid Marvel movie took its place. Which one? Um, whatever the we beat the shit out of Thanos finally film. Um, one one of the Endgame movies took... Oh, to, Aven- Avengers Endgame. Yeah, that I think that's now the most popular movie of all time. I don't even know who Thanos is. He's, the, he's the big blue guy with the glove. Oh, so he was walking around in the with the Navi. He's one of the one of the Navi. He's just got a glove. <laughs> he's got a glove, yeah. That's he's it. like the Navi, but Michael Jackson with his white glove. <laughs> that, that's, <laughs> precisely, that's precisely it. That's precisely okay, it. Okay, yeah. Oh, you get the picture. Um, but but no, you're you're completely right. It is a uh, you know he makes movies for the people, and the people eat them up because they're good films. Yeah, and there's uh, nothing wrong um, with that. No, no, exactly. You know, and I, I'd much rather watch a James Cameron, even the the weakest James Cameron movie, than watch another cookie cutter Marvel movie. Absolutely, a thousand percent. Or anything by Quentin Tarantino or, you know, directors that people <laughs> think are clever but aren't, like Lars von Trier or Darren Aronofsky or anyone like that. Blah. <laughs> Much rather watch James Cameron's popular nonsense. And the thing is that he does get a lot of, um, you know, imagery in and thematic relevance into his films that people don't give him credit for. Um, you know, so so yeah, I'd much rather watch a James Cameron movie than a Lars von Trier film. Absolutely, have a far better time and probably cover more interesting ideas than Love is Bad or Pain is Real or Oh Look, There's a Talking Fox. The th- the three themes that Lars von Trier covers in here's his films. some here's some dark, painful stuff. Yeah, we get it. Yeah, we get it, mate. We've watched your movies before, and we live on planet Earth in the year of our Lord 2023. We understand pain. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah. Anyway, it's popular. On. It's good that it's popular. My my main yes. problem with Avatar is the, the you, you said that James Cameron is good at pacing, and I think that's true for most of his films, but I'm not sure that that applies to Avatar because it's really long. And it sacrifices the development of the key romantic relationship in favour of shooty fightiness, doesn't it? Yeah, I wish they did spend more time on the romance. It takes like 20 minutes for them to fall in love and then that's it. It's like that, so it's like that was ticking a box and just so he could move on to spectacle. And obviously it's about the spectacle, but I think the balance of those, those two things, it could have been a better film if you spent maybe an extra 15 to 20 minutes on developing their relationship and then still kind of shaved off about 15 to 20 minutes of the shooty stuff. See, I think the shooty stuff was all right in length. Um, I think it just needed more time on their relationship. Maybe cut out some of the extra bullshit with with some of the military people talking and standing around. But how else will you know that the evil man is evil if you don't have a scene of him walking into rooms <laughs> and saying evil things and going, I'm a bad general. Shoot the guy. That's Kill the name, guy. General Bad with two Ds. General Badman. 
um yeah but but you're completely right you know we are a romance podcast and this movie's romance was not strong enough for me because all we have in terms of developing their connection is he manages to get on a a little dragon yeah (laughs) and then a big dragon and then a big dragon he jumps from the Um, little dragon onto the big dragon and then i feel bad for the little dragon he's lost his buddy he's been he's been cut yeah (laughs) i didn't expect there to be any cocking in avatar (laughs) Least of all, some dragon cucking. He got some dragon cucking. <laughs> uh, the name of my next band, Dragon, dragon Cuck. Um, but but yeah, you're right. There, there's not enough actual human interaction, and instead, you get more interaction between the the members of the Avatar program, which I don't mind because Sigourney Weaver is in this movie and she's brilliant. She is fantastic. She's ever been yep. in. Um, but you do feel as though the, the the Navi are there more as just a symbol than as actual characters. And I think that is something that hopefully they fixed in the sequel. Yeah, aside from the two the two central people, Jake Sully and his wife, whose name I've forgotten. Neytiri. Neytiri. Uh, I can't remember any of the other Navi characters apart from like her dad was obviously the angry chief guy. Her mum was obviously some kind of wizard seer and then who were in like two scenes and then the rest of the time they're just there to kind of like laugh at him so he can prove them wrong and prove what a strong like hunk he is. And it's like, I would have actually rather spent some time with the Na'vi getting to know them and knowing about the intricacies of their world and their tribe and stuff, rather than that all being channeled through her and him falling in love with her. It would have been actually nice to have a bunch of that instead of all the like nerds on the spaceship talking about nerd spaceship stuff, which I did not need. Yeah, and and instead what you get is you get a sense that he doesn't fall in love with her, but instead falls in love with the concept of the Na'vi people, because that's all that her character represents. Yes, exactly. Um, you did miss out another Navi character, which is the high school jock Navi character. Oh yes, that guy. Um, who who is always fact, laughing at him. He he gets pre-cucked because he was meant to be married off to Neytiri. Of course, yeah. Um, but then doesn't. So he gets pre-cucked and then he dies. <laughs> the the end. R.I.P. High High School Jock Navi. Yeah. Um, did you? I I think I mentioned on the episode last week that there's one scene in particular that I remember and that I love from this movie. Can you? Oh yeah, I couldn't. I'm afraid I couldn't work out what it was. I'm sorry. So it's a really small scene, and I absolutely adore it. It's when General Badman, (laughs) which is now his official name, he gets into the mech suit for the final battle, and halfway through the fight he pulls out this mech-sized machete. Yeah. And you just think, why does this exist? Why does this mech have a giant machete that it's now swinging around? And he starts doing these little knife tricks with it within within the mech suit. And I'm just like, that is top tier. I mean, do, do you reckon this guy, like, got into the mech suit every day and practiced doing knife tricks with it in, like, the, the little landing dock in their in their spaceship? I reckon he did. I reckon he was fully committed to that. It's just brilliant. I love it. And it makes zero sense. But in the moment, you're just like, yeah, of course the bad guys pulled a knife out of his mech to fight someone. Why wouldn't he? Yeah, of course. No, that was, that was cool action. I liked that. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, Cameron does, does action like nobody else. He's always, always on the ball with brilliant action scenes. And this yeah. movie has plenty of, of good action. And action generally, that kind of stuff generally bores me. But overall, I liked most of it. I still feel like there was too much of it. But overall, it was actually still very good to watch and was part of the spectacle that worked. Yeah, and th- this movie's finale, I remember at the time feeling as though 
oh gosh, this is a big long battle. But in comparison to everything that's come since this movie, having a 30 to 40 minute long final battle scene, that feels like nothing. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you compare it to... to um, well, any Star Man, War, for example. Any Star War movie, yeah. Or, or um, Man of Steel, for instance, the Zack Snyder's uh, Superman mm-hmm. movie. Um, where like the last hour and a bit is Superman fighting General Zod and blowing up skyscrapers and things. It feels almost quaint having something that's only 30 to 40 minutes long at the end. Compared to, yeah, today's Marvel-verse landscape, yeah, it's it's pretty tame. Yeah, yeah, it's it's very odd. But I still feel, I do feel as though overall you're right that like, uh, I, I think for me the action scenes were just about balanced with the rest of it and i would have tweaked the stuff around it but maybe you're right that actually we could have cut down some of them a little bit but again he's given the people what they want doesn't he yeah they want they want explosions they want us they want to see a guy in a mech suit get trampled by a space rhinoceros yeah but yeah so have you got anything else you'd like to say about uh, about avatar no i i think it's it's a very interesting film to think about today because it was such a phenomenon at the time and I think it it's rightfully is one of the highest grossing and most popular films of all time and it is good. I think it's well worth seeing if you haven't seen it and probably worth revisiting mm. if you're going to go and see the the sequel which is out right now. I'm interested to see that. I mean it's you can tell it's from 2009 but it, it's still amazing to look at and beautiful. It's very very long so you know strap yourself in. It's it's not necessarily like the greatest film ever made. There is, you know, some problems with it, but overall I, I enjoyed watching it. I'm glad I've seen it and I like James Cameron. He's a, he's a good a good egg and I'm glad that he got to do this. Yes, yeah, as am I. As am I. Um so I've I've got a little bit of trivia for you. Um one of the key things is that this is obviously a massive passion project for James Cameron. He'd been wanting to make Avatar for years and years and years initially wanting to release it by the time the year 2000 came out but could never quite get it off the ground um he wanted a massive budget which no studio would fund um and it was only after lord of the rings came out that he thought okay things like cgi have progressed enough for us to be able to make this effectively on a decent budget now yeah so then eventually came round to to create it and i'm glad that he's been able to to create this 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 movie yeah me too budget 237 million that's a lot of money even in today's money yeah yeah box Um, office though did you see the box office figures 2.923 billion yeah that's unbelievable (laughs) did all right didn't it did all right um (laughs) um, uh, a note about the other people who could have played jake sully we could have had potentially matt damon or jake gyllenhaal they were the studio's first choices to play Jake Sully. Okay. But James Cameron wanted to cast uh, someone unknown in the role. Gave it to Sam Worthington. Yeah, and I think I think that's good. Yeah, I, I can't imagine Matt Damon in this movie. Um, Jake Gyllenhaal maybe, but even then, I'm not too sure that would have been would have been the right call. Yeah, I don't know. He's got he's got a bit of a sleazy edge to him, Gyllenhaal. I'm not sure it would yeah, have worked yeah. as, as someone who's supposed to be relatively wholesome. Um, another bit of trivia for you the Navi language was created by a linguist a doctor Paul Frommer hmm. from the University of Southern California yeah I'd say I'd say the language side of it felt felt authentic although the, the subtitles appeared to be in papyrus font which is a crime <laughs> but other than that it was good um, and finally last little bit of trivia for you um, 
notoriously james cameron uh had a nail gun on set and whenever someone's uh mobile phone rang in the middle of a scene he nail gunned it to the wall <laughs> <laughs> oh i wonder what it's like working for him now with all the crew being on tiktok all the time <laughs> must be a nightmare uh which is which is very funny um he's like who sniggered at unobtainium <laughs> who's who's done this dabbing navi dance on tiktok right own up who's done it um but anyway yeah so that that's trivia so so how are we going to rate this um let's see how many dragon guys do you have to walk past on the cliff before you find the one that's going to be your buddy so I've, i've got to walk past 13 dragon guys me yeah, I, I agree. That's totally fair. It's 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 good and it's competent and there's a lot about it to like, but it's also problematic in many ways and falls down in other places. But it's a big old populist good thing, and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a good popcorn movie. Yeah, is what, what exactly. Is. Good popcorn. Um, and yeah, if, if if you've never seen it, still worth watching. If you haven't watched it in ages, worth revisiting to see if you still yeah. think the same way that you did about it before. Absolutely. And I, I also did just want to highlight that thing I texted you, which is that Luke Besson loved it so much that like he threw out his entire draft of Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets to remake it in the image of Avatar. Just dropping that in there so that we can eventually sometime get round to watching that definite shit piece. We, we definitely should. I'm very excited to watch that at some point. But what are we watching next? Well, we're going to watch another movie, but I think you've never watched, but is a an iconic film. Um, we're going to be watching Labyrinth. You're right. I have never seen Labyrinth. That's one that a lot of people really, really love, isn't mm. it? Yeah. Got, a, got David Bowie in it. What's more to like? So did you... Well, let's not get into it, but did you watch it as a child? I did watch it as a child. Okay, yes. so you will have nostalgia for it and I won't, which is always... I have a lot of nostalgia for it. Always an interesting you, one. We're coming in fresh, so it's going to be interesting to see what we think. Yeah. But I think... I'll, yeah, the last thing I'll say, because we're going to talk about it next week, but I think now that I've seen Bowie as an actor in a couple of other things, I actually really like him as an actor, so mm, hopefully yeah. that will steer it in a good direction for me. Absolutely, it's going to be interesting. Okay, um, good good call. That's an interesting yeah, pivot from Avatar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, slightly different. Let's see if I can g- think of a, a bakery gag about David Bowie in time for next week. <laughs> All right. Well, Ground thanks a lot. Control for... to major bum. <laughs> that's good. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. Um, thanks a lot for tuning in. We really appreciate it, and hope you enjoyed watching or rewatching Avatar. And if you haven't, go see it. Um, you can find us on Twitter at Big Boys Don't Pod. You can email us at Big Boys Don't Cry Podcast at gmail.com. There's a link in our show notes where you can give us money, just like a virtual tip jar. Um, and we'll be back next week to talk about Labyrinth. Alrighty. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.